week. I'm going to ask you tonight to pay really close attention to some of the things we're going to talk about. There are some things tonight that we want to we're going to dial in and and seek some precision concerning that I think have gotten a little loose, so to speak, in the thinking of the body of Christ, in the minds of the members of the body of Christ. And there are multiple opportunities tonight for you to misunderstand what I'm saying, but you're not going to do that. The Holy Spirit's going to help us. But I believe, I don't believe I know, I'm 100% convinced that um, I have a word for us tonight from the Lord, and I'm excited about the opportunity to present it to you. So let's do a little bit of review. 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith is not something we try to scrape together and accumulate in order to meet some need or overcome some situation that would arise in our lives, but we have been given by God enough faith to live on. Amen. Enough faith to live on. We said there's a lot of ignorance, error, and wrong thinking, even misunderstanding when it comes to walking by faith and receiving from God. And this ignorance, error, wrong thinking, and misunderstanding is causing God's people to be cheated. Jesus said, have faith in God, in Mark 11, and then proceeded to tell us what that looks like on a practical basis. And the conclusion was, ask, and whatever you desire, when you pray, believe you've already received and you will have. So when he said, have faith in God, and proceeded to, to tell us what that looks like on a practical basis, he was confirming what we see in other places in Scripture of what faith is and how it works. We've asked you on multiple occasions to consider the difference between have already received, am receiving, or will receive, and we need to adjust our confession accordingly, right? Because faith is believing we've already received. And we can't wait until it looks, seems, and feels like it's done to believe it's done, right? Because if, if we do that, we'll, we will never, that's, we'll never receive by faith, okay? So we came to the conclusion last week that we're going to consider walking by faith as walking as if we have already received. Now, we said that walking in love is something you do regardless of feelings. And in the same way, walking in faith or by faith is something you do regardless of feelings. Now, let's look at James 2. We'll jump in there again. James 2, 17 and 18. He says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. The Weymouth translation says faith without corresponding action is dead. Now, we see in these verses, and there's a lot here. We're just touching on these verses for specific reasons. And one of the things that that we see is that he says, I'll show you my faith by my works, meaning what he does is an extension of or is an expression of his faith. So which comes first? You know, not the chicken or the egg. Which comes first, the works or the faith? Well, the faith comes first, and then 
the, the works are done in accordance to, in agreement with, based upon something that we've already believed and laid hold of internally. So we see this same pattern throughout Scripture, but here is a classic verse that supports this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. So believing first and speaking second is revealing, an, is a, is revealing the established pattern. Romans 10, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. So walking by faith then could be understood as bringing your thoughts, words, and actions into agreement with what you have already, what you believe rather, you've already received. And so this is, this is what I want us to build on tonight. And I, I really think this is going to going to help you like it's helping me, all right? It's, it's works, confession being an effort, an action. It's works because of faith, not as, or we could even say never as a substitute for faith or as an effort to compensate for doubt. So the pattern again, I have believed, therefore I have spoken. Now, in the course of our study, we've looked at the difference between a one-dimensional approach to receiving from God versus a three-dimensional approach to receiving from God. And because God created you a three-dimensional being, you are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body, His ways of receiving are all designed to coincide with your three-dimensional being. The problem that a lot of people have in the body of Christ is they don't understand or think of themselves as a three-dimensional being. They see themselves and think of themselves as a one-dimensional being, and they try to use what they understand about one-dimensional receiving to receive from God, who, again, is dealing with us on a three-dimensional level. And so this is something we've covered already. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But we've said a one-dimensional approach to receiving has trained us to rely on visual confirmation, right? So under a one-dimensional approach to receiving from, from people or, or what have you, we don't, we don't believe we have received until we hold it in our hand. That's one-dimensional approach. Amen? Y'all interested in this? Yeah, okay, all right, so... That's a one-dimensional approach, and it relies upon or has trained us to rely upon a visual confirmation. Another way of saying that is I'll believe it when I see it. Okay? Well, a three-dimensional approach believes you've already received before you see it, and faith, believing you've already received things done, is the evidence of things that you don't see yet, you don't have visual confirmation for yet. If, if it was immediately visible, we wouldn't need faith. 
if, if, if there weren't a contradiction between what we see and what we believe we've already received, there would be no need for faith. Faith believes what it doesn't yet see with the physical eyes. Now, here we go down a related but a new pathway. So, one more time, a one-dimensional approach to receiving has trained us to rely on visual confirmation. A one-dimensional approach to receiving has also trained us to work harder when results aren't coming fast enough. Stay with me. A one-dimensional approach coincides with or goes along with visual confirmation. And I'm, I'm trying to say this to you so that it'll, it'll register. The, the words may be a bit cumbersome, but we're talking about visual confirmation and then we're talking about works, things that we do, compensation. We're trying to compensate for. By works compensation, we mean trying to compensate for weak and wavering faith with human effort and willpower. Works compensation is trying to substitute more fleshly effort for a lack of genuine faith and trust in God. Think of it as working harder and doing more to compensate for our doubt and lack of full persuasion. Now, if all this sounds very odd or strange to you, this is exactly, I'll get to that in just a moment, but let me just jump ahead. This is exactly the mistake that Abraham made. Right? He was not fully persuaded that he and Sarah were going to have the promised child from God. And so what did he do? He, re, he, resulted, he resorted back to what he understood about making things happen. He tried, a, he tried something different. He tried... But what he wound up producing was something that was produced by human effort, by human willpower. He was trying to compensate for his lack of full persuasion in what God had promised by doing something in the flesh to make it happen himself. You see, if that was Abraham, that's not me. Oh, my brother, sister, yes, it is us. Yes, it is us. Just stay with me, okay? Trying to make up for weak and wavering faith makes us vulnerable to step-by-step methodology that attempts to reduce receiving from God to physical steps that can be carried out in the flesh alone. This is why, this is why it still is, but especially some years ago, Preaching in the body of Christ that involved presenting three steps to this or four steps to that or a formula for this. Now, if some of you are thinking that I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, listen to me, please. I'll get to this in a moment. We certainly see steps to take and follow as an example. Patterns, established patterns. We've been talking about established patterns. Pastor, uh, preacher, a prophet, really, Donald Ballard, he presented a master piece on the the position that we have and the pattern that God has established. The patterns are there. Don't misunderstand me. They're absolutely there. Okay. But when we try to receive from God one-dimensionally, those patterns appeal to our... Okay, just remember the rich young ruler? 
he comes to God, I, I see him kind of like this, you know, pen in one hand, paper in the other. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's not about doing, it's about believing. He's wanting to know what he can do because he's a doer, he's a mover, he's a shaker. He gets things done. And he's trying to take that same mindset, that same attitude, that same perspective to spiritual things that can only be received by faith. And he's just, look, just tell me what I got to do and I'll do it. Matter of fact, if you tell me what I got to do, I'll probably do it faster than the average bear. I'll probably get it done at a higher level because, he, again, alpha personality. He's, he, he's going to do it. And he's going he's to do it fast and he's going to do it with excellence. And, and, it's, and it's all about what he can do and how he can make it, again, happen. Trying to make up for weak and wavering faith makes us vulnerable then to this step-by-step methodology, this effort to reduce receiving from God to physical steps that can be carried out in the flesh alone. I even put this in my notes. You need to listen really close to this message because there's potential for confusion here and a lot of God's people are confused when it comes to this part of receiving from God by faith. Now we're going to go into in John chapter 6 here in just a moment. But let me give you a little preview. In John 6, the people asked Jesus to show them how to turn a little bit of food into a lot of food. When they asked him, what must we do in order to do the works of God? Jesus did not respond to them with a formula. He didn't respond to them uh, with three easy steps or seven processes or what have you. But instead, he revealed to them that their work, in other words, what they needed to do was believe on him whom God has sent. These people didn't want to believe on him whom God has sent, but they wanted instead to be told a list of things that they could do to make what they wanted to see happen in their lives happen. Now, believing is work. That was one of the things that we tried to emphasize last week. Believing even is a fight, if you want to get right down to it, fighting the good fight of faith. There's no such thing as effortless love, and there's no such thing as effortless faith. Faith without a corresponding action, again, is what? It's dead. So we can take a one-dimensional approach or even a three-dimensional. See, this is, listen to me now, there's a lot of folks who understand three dimensions, but they're still living a flesh-first life. They're still approaching things from a a flesh-first perspective. Am I right about this? So we can take this one-dimensional approach or even a three-dimensional approach, but if it's a flesh-first approach to life and living, and, and notice what this does. It draws us towards a work-harder, try-harder, do-more approach to resolving the issues when the answers... I'm sorry. To resolving issues when the answer is not do more, but what? Believe more. All right, let's, let me see if this will help us. We're, we're laying some... We're plowing. We're laying some foundation here. All right. Praying... Is that important? I believe things are better when we pray and they're not when we don't, okay? Praying, confessing, fasting, seeking, studying, giving, hearing, serving, obeying, and faithfully attending are all wonderful Christian disciplines that will potentially lead to otherworldly progress and results in our lives. 
And while all of these are extremely important and powerful, they are not a substitute for genuine faith. Now, here's, here's the example, and this was one of the things the Holy Spirit told me to present it to you this way, showed me to present it to you this way, and we've already done it a couple times last week and now here once this week already, is there's no such thing as effortless love and there's no such thing as effortless faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 3 says that I, I can give all of my goods to feed the poor and my body to be burned, but these efforts and actions are no substitute for genuine love. Is that not what he says? And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. We think, well, what the world? Somebody that does this, this must be somebody who has not. Again, he's saying that someone can do all of these things and not have genuine love. In other words, they have different motives. It's, it's about their flesh. It's about how it makes them look. It's about what other people think about them because they did this. But not from a, a motive or a heart of genuine love. So if someone could give everything they have to feed the poor and not have love, somebody could pray fast and study and give and not have faith. I'm not saying that these things aren't important. They absolutely are. And to make it clear, Christian disciplines consistently followed with the right heart towards God can help you grow in fellowship and faith with Him. But performed with a wrong attitude, they're nothing more than prideful religion and self-righteousness. Do I need to remind you that the men who had Jesus nailed to a cross were among the most studious, disciplined, and devoutly religious men who ever lived? Now watch this. Christian disciplines have become the Ishmael for many modern day believers. What do I mean by that? Ishmael was the son Abraham produced by the efforts of his flesh. He then begged God to let Ishmael be an acceptable substitute for what could only be fulfilled by faith. You see this. He's like, oh, Lord, just let Ishmael stand before you. What's, what is he saying? He's like, God, can we, not just, can we not just call it done and move on here? Why is that? It's because at this point he was still staggering. His faith was, 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 not, he was not fully persuaded. He was staggering at God's promises. They, they were bigger than, than at this point he was able to take and run with. And so what did he do? He's going to get in the flesh, and we're going to make this thing happen. We're going to move the needle here. We, we, we're, going, we're, going, we're going to try harder because that, he was a driven man. He was a prosperous man. He was a businessman. All right, go with me now to John, the sixth chapter. Praise God. John, chapter six. I have an ambitious set of notes tonight, but we'll go until the Holy Spirit says stop, and then we'll... Can you come back? Amen. All right. Now, to set this up, we're going to begin at verse number 22. But just so you'll know what's happened, um, in the first portion of John chapter 6 is where Jesus feeds the 5,000 men plus women and children with just a, a little bit of food. 
And I believe that there were a lot of people there that day. That was the most they had ever eaten at one sitting in their lives. And the Bible says that everybody ate until they were full to overflowing, and then they picked up 12 baskets of fragments. Okay. So these people ate big that day. And then Jesus sends the disciples on ahead, and he spends some time, you know, telling everybody bye and answering questions and kissing babies and all the wonderful things that Jesus did because he was just gracious and generous and kind like that. And then he spends some time with his dad, and then he walks on the sea because he's going to meet his disciples on the other side. And, of course, the sea arose, and a great wind was blowing, and Jesus you know, had that whole encounter. And this brings us now to verse 22. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread, after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. So, these folks seem to be all in. I mean, they, they, they seem to be uh, you know, committed and determined. What we're going to see, obviously, as the story unfolds, is that they really just, you know, because no matter how much you eat one day, you're going to get hungry the next. And they came to Jesus seeking more calories. But think of the calories that they expended in search of more free calories from Jesus. It takes a lot of, it takes a lot of work. I don't know if you've ever got on a, 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 a rowing machine at, a, at the Y or Planet Fitness or something like that. That's, that's, that's a legs, arms, back. I mean, it's, it's a workout, right? So these people rowed, I want to say it was 12 miles. I may, I may be incorrect on that. I did the, looked it up one time, but the exact distance. Verse 25 says, And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? You, you, you snuck off and didn't tell us. We, we were looking for you this morning, and we, we had to come and find you. Now, from the outside looking in, these people appeared to be candidates for leadership in the new Jesus movement. Few people demonstrated more commitment and effort than these to seek and find the Lord. They were not just willing to go the extra mile. They were willing to row boats many miles to experience and receive more from Jesus. They seemed to be all in committed followers of Jesus, but the Lord knew their hearts and exposed it with the following words. Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Now I want you to think for a moment. This Sunday morning, we have a large group of people show up and they've obviously been on the road, you know. And we actually find out that they hitchhiked from Canada, 18 of them, because they heard 
that God was doing great things among us here at Heritage Christian Center. What would be your initial impression of these people? I mean, it's like, man, these folks, roll out the red carpet for them. These people, I mean, they, they're so into Jesus, man, they jumped in a boat and rode to find him. Sadly, though, like many today, they were, they were willing to row, but they were not willing to believe. You think about that now for a minute. I've met a lot of folks that as long as it's something they can do in the flesh and therefore control themselves, they're all in. But when you try to draw them beyond a willingness to work for it or row for it, they throw up the brakes. So again, they were willing to row, but we're going to find out they're not willing to believe. This group was all in for Jesus, but only for what they could get out of him. Now, Jesus didn't just say that they saw the miracles. What they saw, what they experienced, what their bellies were filled with was an undeniable miracle. But Jesus, pay very close attention to what Jesus said here. He didn't say, you seek me not because you saw the miracles. He said, you seek me not because you saw the signs. Signs refers to more than the miracle they experienced and enjoyed. The miracle pointed to something deeper. It pointed to something larger. It pointed to something more important. They did not row miles across open water to know more about the deeper things of the Spirit or to receive God's wisdom from one who could perform such miracles. They were there for more food and hopefully to be told what they could do to perform similar miracles themselves. They wanted the formula. They wanted the secret. They wanted the recipe. They wanted to know what they could do to do what Jesus did. Jesus trying to help him. Verse 27, he says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. Not asking you to earn it. Not asking you to work for it. Not asking you to labor for it. This is not about what you do to earn it or deserve it or to make it happen. It's what you're willing to be given, what you're willing to receive. Because God the Father has set His seal on Him. So be careful not to lose sight of what Jesus is saying here. His instructions are for us to labor for the food which endures to everlasting life. Jesus didn't say be lazy. He didn't say don't labor. He said don't labor for temporary things while ignoring the eternal. Don't get so caught up in what you can produce by your own efforts that you miss out on what God wants to give you because of His love and His mercy and grace and kindness towards you. But these people were solely focused on the food that perishes and therefore were oblivious to the food which endures to everlasting life. Now, as we, as we move forward from here, I want you to pay close attention to the words work, do, perform, and labor. We've already seen these words either specifically used, but remember the rowing was, was labor. It was, it was energy effort exerted uh, towards, you know, 
getting to Jesus to get out of Jesus and from Jesus what they wanted uh, from him, okay? And then also remember, there is a difference between food or nourishment for the outward man compared to food or nourishment for the inward man. Jesus gave them food for their outward man in hopes of making them receptive to the food he came to give them for their inward man. Now, verse 28 really, really, really reveals their heart, and I believe where the heart of a lot of people are in the body of Christ today. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Now, I want us to talk about this for a minute because this really is where we need some revelation, okay? So Holy Spirit's helping us. First things first. They desired to reproduce a miracle Jesus performed the day before. Right? Are they out of line? Let's get this nailed down now. Are they out of line for desiring that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Jesus, you know, Jesus never had a don't try this at home attitude towards his miracles. As a matter of fact, we see him constantly, consistently inviting other people into. Remember, he went about healing the sick and casting out devils. He sent the 12 to heal the sick and cast out devils. He sent the 70 to heal the sick and cast out devils. There's a reason why there's two mass feedings in the Scripture. There's a reason why there's two storms recorded in the Scripture. There was more than likely more than that. Those are the ones we have recorded in the Scripture. And we have them recorded in the Scripture because we see the first one, Jesus demonstrated how to handle the situation. The next time, He's asleep in the boat. And when they wake Him up, don't you care we're dying? Jesus is like, where's your faith, man? In other words, we see Him training people to do what He did. So they're not out of line for wanting to reproduce a miracle that they witnessed Jesus perform. Jesus' miracles became established precedents for all who know and follow Him. And we see it most clearly in John 14 and 12 where Jesus said, the works He did you would do also and even greater works because He goes to His Father. So this is not a referendum on miracles being for Jesus alone. Far from it. But the attitude and focus we see in these men and women is why so many people get stuck when it comes to receiving from God today. Consider what they were asking. What do I need to do in order to be able to do what you're able to do? All right, now I know that's a little bit wordy, but they didn't just say, what, do, what can we do? How can we do the works of God? They didn't ask that. They didn't say, how can we do the works of God? They said, what can we do to do the works of God? That's important. Now, I'm not trying to split a hair, but this needs to be split. Let's go back to it. Verse 28. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work, that we may do, we may produce, we may perform the works of God? Do you see this? You say, well, that's just King's English. No, no, it's not either. This is how it was, this is how it was, this was the way they phrased the question. And the Holy Spirit accurately recorded how they phrased the question because there's some very important truth and wisdom in here for us to understand. So again, consider what they're asking. They're saying, hey, Jesus, 
what do I need to do so that I will be able to do what you're able to do? Notice their focus is on doing. Their focus is on what what they can do. And of course, we know what Jesus is going to answer in just a moment. He's going to say, what you need to do is believe on him whom God has sent. But they're trying to figure out some way to produce the works of God without believing on him whom God has sent. They're trying to figure out how to have God's provision and God's blessing and God's miracles and God working in their life without God. So the question reveals their incorrect and limited understanding. In other words, the underlying assumption, this is, see, what you don't realize is, is, remember when the religious leaders asked Jesus, who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus wasn't making himself out to be anything. But because that's how they thought it worked, that's how they, the perspective that they had on what Jesus was doing. Because everything they did was, was geared towards making themselves out to be something in the eyes of other people. And so because that's the perspective they had, they just automatically assumed that was the perspective that Jesus had. So we see then that they're assuming that there's something that they need to do that they don't know to do so that they would be able to do what Jesus did. So the question reveals their incorrect and limited understanding. In other words, the underlying assumption was that Jesus did something to qualify for and to be able to do what he did with the fish and the loaves. Do you see the one-dimensional thinking here? They're not even considering that Jesus has something in him that Jesus has a connection with Jehovah God that he's empowered by the Spirit of God that there's more going on here than something being produced by sleight of hand or, or, or by... Uh, some type of, of magic or, or, or soup. You, you, are you following what I'm saying here? Oh, sweet Jesus, I want you to get this. All right, are you still with me? All right. So everything in their minds focused upon, revolved around, and was dependent upon human effort, also known as doing. So they wanted Jesus to tell them what they should. That's an important word as well. They wanted Jesus to tell them what they should. One translation has it shall. One translation has it must. Do. What should we do? What shall we do? What must we do? To be able to do miracles ourselves. So let me say it another way to help bring it a little closer to home. Because we're not just here to talk about them. We're not just here to, to be critical of them or to, or to somehow look down upon them. But we have this recorded and preserved in Scripture for our benefit. Because if these people were making the same mistake, it's recorded in the Scripture for us to understand it so that we don't make the same mistake ourselves. So let me again say it a different way to bring it a little closer to home. They're actually they're saying this to Jesus. Jesus What are we not doing that we should be doing so we can experience miraculous breakthroughs for ourselves? Now, this is where, again, I'm asking you to hear me very carefully 
hear the Spirit and not the letter. Because how many times do we look at situations? What, what did I do that I shouldn't have done? What should I have done that I didn't do? When we're in crisis mode, trained by a, one, a one-dimensional approach to receiving, crisis mode makes it very easy for us to slip into, are you ready? Watch it now. Are you ready? To slip into, you've got to do something mode. You've got to do something. What can I do to fix this? What can I do to make this right? Is there anything the doctors can do? We're looking for the doing, the doing, the doing, the doing, the doing. What can we do? How can we do? What do we need to do more of? What do we need to do less of? What do we need to do that we're not doing? So when they ask Jesus what they should do, the thinking here is there's something that he's doing that we're not doing that if he will tell us what he's doing, then we can do what he's doing and that will enable us to do the miracles that he's doing. Just a little bit of a related side note. Desperation will cause people to consider options they previously refused to consider. So how many times have we looked at a situation that didn't turn out as we hoped it would? Or how many times do we look at a situation that isn't turning out as we are hoping it will and ask, what should I do differently? Or what do I need to do that I'm not doing in order to see the miraculous results I desire. Now, on the surface, and at least on some level, listen to me now, on the surface, or at least on some level, that's not necessarily a wrong question. But it should never be the first question. See, it's so easy now for us to slip into. All right, let's go back to Abraham, right? Man, what am I not doing? What should I be doing that I'm not doing? What? Why is this not happening? I mean, I'm trying. God, I've seen you working so many other areas of my life. I mean, the, the sheep are like multiplying. I wake up and there's more sheep. I'm like, you know, I mean, what's going on here, God? I mean, it's just, I see, I, you know, I see everything in my life. You just, you know, there's evidence all around me of your, of your faithfulness and your goodness. And, and, and this is happening. This is happening. But man, this one thing right here, what am I doing that I shouldn't be doing what I should I be doing that I I mean we're trying I'm not you know it's just I don't know God I'm just in, so he's starting to get frustrated right so notice what he does he gets in desperation mode he gets in crisis mode we got to do something here we got to move this thing forward here so he's you know I mean obviously it's it, he's getting stressed about it he's, he's 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 anxious about it he's talking to Sarah about it and they're trying to come up well I don't know we've tried everything in the world what, what else she goes, I know why don't you, I know listen Hagar we hadn't tried Hagar yet. Hagar? What do you mean, Hagar? Why don't you see if you can have a baby with her? Are you sure, honey? I mean, I don't, what else can we do? See, do, 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 right? What, what else are we going to do? We've tried everything else. We've done everything we know to do. We gotta, we're, in, we're in desperation, but we're in crisis mode. We've got to do something. And man, the devil's just sitting back laughing. Because now, what, see, now, now, we're, now we're trying to make something happen by our own efforts, by our own willpower, that can only be fulfilled in the Spirit. 
You do know where Jesus is ending this whole thing, right? Many, many verses on down the line. He's going to cap it off with the flesh, prophets, nothing. It's the Spirit that gives life. They're trying to make happen with the flesh what can only happen by the Spirit. I'm going to say it again because I think it's important. How many times have we... I'm guilty of this. You look at a situation and you say, well, you know, what could I have done differently? What do I need to do that I'm not doing? What, what do I need to do so that I can do what needs to be done? This do more, do different, do better approach to problem solving is a mindset conditioned into us by the world and reinforced by religion. Do more, do different, do better are the only options available to someone trying to live with a one-dimensional perspective. But we have other options available to us. We have something and someone to look to besides what can I do that I haven't done? Where can, are you following what I'm saying? What can I do more of? What can I do better? What can I do try harder, redouble my efforts, triple my efforts? Let's go back to it now, right? You just need to pray more. You just need to fast more. It'd be different if you'd fasted more. It'd be, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray. I'm not saying we shouldn't fast, right? Faith by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. I believe that. 100%, I believe that. And the context is hearing to receive salvation. But I have no problem with applying faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But listen to me. If that's all there was to it, we've heard enough Word by now to have enough faith to raise the dead. Please listen to me very closely here. There are things we need to do. Faith without works is dead. There are things the Lord will tell us to do, has commanded us to do already. Our doing is a critical piece of the comprehensive approach to receiving from God. I have preached for years that Jesus taught us the differences in the doing, and I am not contradicting that now. But doing should not be our first and certainly not our only consideration. I have believed, I have believed, and therefore I have spoken. Speaking is a critical piece of receiving from God, but can never be a substitute for actually believing. Do you know how many people get a hold of what the Bible says about a faith confession? And, and now they think all they have to do is say it enough times What are we trying to do? It's like, well, you know, I'm not really sure. I'm not fully persuaded about this. I'm not, but man, I'm my flesh, man, I can, I, can, I can say it, buddy. I'll say it and I'll keep saying it and I'll say it and I'll keep saying it. You say, well, Pastor Mark, are you saying we shouldn't make a faith confession? Please make them. And sometimes you've got to keep confessing it when doubt and, and unbelief and, and the enemy's attacking your mind. You just keep saying it. You just keep confessing it. But you've got to realize now, see, if you try to reduce this whole thing down to some formula, just say this seven times every day, and in three weeks it'll happen. <laughs> That's not how any of this works. See, it's, it's this, just tell me what I need to do, give me a list, spell it out for me, in simple and easy to follow steps. How can we do what you did yesterday? What's the secret? What are we missing? Make it plain. Just tell us, and we'll do it. This is how they were, they were thinking. So again, can, you got a few more minutes. It's five after. I, praise God. I I could go for two more hours. Let's, can you stay just a minute or two longer? Yes. All right, is this helping you at all? Okay, praise God.
I'm trying to see because there's a certain things here that I want to. So one dimensional approach, a one dimensional thinking produces a flesh only or flesh first perspective on everything. A one dimensional approach to receiving from God tries to reduce doing and experiencing miracles to a formula or three simple steps to follow. Again, please listen carefully. We do see an established pattern for receiving from God in the scriptures. We are even instructed to follow in the footsteps of Abraham's faith example. But no formula or set of steps can ever take the place of genuine faith. You can have all the steps down in the right order and exactly as they are found in scripture, but never receive from God if you're trying to substitute sound faith doing for sound faith. Doing in response to faith is powerful. Doing to compensate for a lack of faith is powerless to produce God's results in your life. Jesus answered and said to them in verse 29, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. Notice it says, Jesus answered and said to them. What question is Jesus answering? Stand with me tonight. What question is Jesus answering? He's answering this one. What do I need to do in order to be able to do what you're able to do? He gave them the answer. Those who believe on Jesus, that's what you need to do to be able to do what Jesus was able to do. Believe on Him whom God has sent. But they wanted to skip the believing and go straight to the doing. And we like doing because we can control doing. We like doing because doing makes sense. We like doing because doing goes along with the way we're used to living. Which is living by the way things look, seem, and feel. Believing on Him whom God has sent takes you out of the arena that our flesh is familiar with, how it looks, how it seems, how it feels, and moves you over into an arena of trust. Amen. Now, where we're headed with this next week is Jesus said in Mark 11, have faith in the process. Is that what he said? Have faith in the pattern. Is that what he said? No, he said, have faith in God. He's a person. See, we got folks trying to be fully persuaded in what he said that don't even know him. Can you ever be fully persuaded in a promise made to you by a stranger? I mean, even if you want to believe it, even if they seem like a trustworthy person, somebody that you don't know, I just come out of the blue and make a promise to you. I've had some of that over the years. People, man, I'll tell you what I'm going to do first, Mark. Well, I mean, I hope they do it. You know, I mean, it sounds good to me. Praise God, I'll be in agreement with you. But I'm not fully persuaded. I hadn't go written, written any checks on that money yet. You follow what I'm saying? Because I don't know them. But there are people in this room, and there are people watching right now I trust explicitly. If they tell me something, I don't even give it a second thought. It's done. If they tell me they're going to do it, I just go ahead, and I don't even think about it. Like, I wonder if they're going to. No, trust them explicitly. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But I didn't have that the first time I met that person. 
Why, do, why are there people that you trust explicitly? Why are there people that I trust explicitly? Because I've done life with them. I, I know them. I've seen them in operation. I've experienced them. They've told me things before and they've done it. And they, and they told me again and they've done it. And, and, and we've developed a fellowship with one another, relationship with one another, experience with one another. And all of that has resulted in me now. When they say something to me, I know it's done. It's a thing done. Even before, it, it may be three weeks from now before they tell me they're going to get to it. But as far as I'm concerned, I don't even think about it anymore. It's done because I trust them. Why not trust their word? I trust their word because I trust them. We're trying to be fully persuaded without fellowshipping and doing life with Him and getting to know Him and, and that trust being developed and strengthened and established through life experience, through learning and listening. Amen. Father, you're good to us. And you're helping us. And Lord, I, I, I thank you that, Lord, I tried to give this just exactly, Lord, even in some cases, just reading it exactly the way you gave it to me this evening. Father, I thank you that, that these words, Lord, the spirit of them, more even than the letter, Father, is, is, is resounding deep in us. Father, that... that we would understand there are certain things that we need to do. Those who hear your sayings, Jesus, and do them. Father, that's where the difference comes, the, 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 the action, the acting on it. But, Lord, the faith has to be first, and then the response or the responding action, Lord. Show us this. Show us, Father, where we've tried to substitute action for uncertainty and and wavering and, and questioning Lord in our lives Father we love you tonight thank you for these examples in your word thank you for helping us understand them and connect with them in, in our own lives in Jesus name amen Amen. Thank you for being here this evening. Thank you for giving me a few extra minutes to share some of these things with you. Remember